the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. At the end of his life, he said, I have fought the good fight. Will you be able to say that? Honestly, will you be able to say that you have fought the good fight? That is what life is all about, fighting the good fight. At least that's an aspect of it. One of the best little cartoons I think I ever saw came out many years ago, long before memes, long before there was even social media to host memes. Now the cartoon has endured so long that it has become a meme. It's a picture of an egret trying to swallow a frog head first. But the frog has managed to keep its front legs free, and it has the egret's throat in a death grip. The egret's eyes are bugged out, and it looks totally shocked by this turn of events. And the caption says, Never give up. Welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We've been studying 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Paul's urgent concern for his young protege. Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy understood that there will be difficult times, but it's still his job, and ours, to accurately convey the message God has given us. John Owen, the 17th century English church leader, was said to have dictated to his secretary the following words, which were to be sent to a friend. I am still in the land of the living. Stop, said Owen. Change that, and say, I am yet in the land of the dying, but I hope soon to be in the land of the living. Here in 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul was delivering what could be called his swan song. He knew that his death was imminent, and his primary concern was not for his own life. It was for Timothy that he would step up and continue to proclaim the gospel. Here's Pastor Steve now to get us started on today's Bible lesson. How do you view death? How do you view death? To some people it is very, very scary. I'm talking about as a Christian. How do you view death? There are some Christians who are still very scared of death. It is the great unknown to many people. They're afraid. They, uh, it's dark. We have all kinds of books telling us about people who said they died and they came back. And I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Something happened, but they, but they didn't die. To be absent from the body is, if you're a Christian, you're present with the Lord. To be absent from the body, if you're a non-Christian, you go to to a Christless eternity. You don't come back and float around and see a light at the end of a tunnel and all that kind of stuff. But uh, to a lot of people, it is the great unknown. But the Bible gives us a lot of comforting phrases referring to death. Let's look at some of them. This is not the point of Paul's uh, message, but it is the truth. It is truth here. In Philippians chapter 1, and I'll go through this quickly. You don't you don't even need to, to turn there. I'd encourage you to write it down, but you don't need to turn there. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul spoke of death as gain. He said that to to depart and be with Christ is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Marvelous. Do you think of death as gain? Some people think, but but I'm leaving everything here. Paul said it's gain. Who cares what you're leaving here? It is gain. 
The old saying is, when he died, what did he leave behind him? Everything. Everything. Be with the Lord is gain. Verse 23 of that same passage says this, But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. That's better to die. Most people want to cling on to life and hold on to it dearly. Paul said, look, I don't know, I'm not sure what to do. It's profitable for you if I stay here. It's better for me if I go. I guess, he said, I'm going to stay here. But Paul said that to go, from his perspective, was better. Death was better than life, is what he's saying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he said, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful to be finally home? For our citizenship is where? In heaven. You think like that? Most people, they think, but I I love this life. I want to hold on to it. This is home. This is not home. This is not home. Peter calls us pilgrims. A pilgrim is one who's just passing through. Paul said that to be absent from this body is to be present and at home with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, Paul calls death falling asleep in Jesus. Now, he doesn't mean soul sleep. Some people think that when you die, you are in a state of soul sleep. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the expression is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.14 of sleeping. When believers die, it's as if they are sleeping. It doesn't mean their soul is sleeping, but it looks like they're sleeping, but they're with the Lord. In Psalm 116, verse 15 The psalmist said that precious in God's sight is the death of his saints. When a loved one dies, understand that in God's sight it's precious, if he's a believer. In Luke chapter 16, we read, this is before the cross, that uh, to to, to die is to be carried away into Abraham's bosom. Now it's to be with the Lord, but then before Hades was emptied, it was to be in Abraham's bosom, and also paradise. Jesus said, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. Abraham's bosom. So while Paul greeted death in a triumphant manner, and, and that's the only thing you can get out of this, this verse, that he met death head on and said, look, and said, look, it's the it's the sacrifice of my life, the end of my of my sacrificial life, and it is a voyage to me. His point was not to comfort Timothy. I mean, it's comforting, but that's not his point. That's not his purpose. It wasn't like Timothy was about to die. He was simply saying, Timothy, my death is imminent. It could happen at any time. I want you to know I'm about to be history. I'm moving off this scene. Understand that we don't have a whole lot of time here. That's his point. And Timothy's mentor is about to depart, and so he needed to step in into his shoes and to preach God's word. That's the point. Timothy, I want you to know it's getting urgent because I am not going to be here very long. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Death was standing by just waiting its time, the Apostle Paul. Preach the word, Timothy. Get up and preach the word because you won't have me to do it anymore. You won't have me to set the example. You proclaim God's word. And that's what Paul's life was centered on, right? Centered on preaching the word of God. And Timothy needed to step in and take up Paul's mantle. Now, what did that involve? In verse 7, Paul looks back over his ministry. You know how many years it was? About 30 years. About 30 years of a very fruitful ministry. Not an easy ministry, but a very fruitful ministry. And he describes it in, in summary form three ways. 
And what he is saying here is, Timothy, if you preach the word, and you must because I won't be here to do it, if you do it as a leader in the church, then understand this is what you could expect. This is what you ought to say at the end of your life, looking back without any regrets. And I think it's marvelous for us to do that. This has just gripped my heart, and it's been my prayer to the Lord that when I die, if God gives me the opportunity to reflect on things, I can say truthfully, Verse 7. By the way, this was on the tombstone of R.A. Torrey, who took this as his verse. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Great words. Great words. I have fought the good fight. Like a great athlete, and and it's really not a military battle here. It's the imagery of an athlete, probably a wrestler, because he speaks of a a runner in the next phrase. But a, a wrestler... A Greek and Roman wrestler, kind of like one of these Olympic wrestlers, not, not those silly guys on television now, but the Greek and Roman wrestlers who, uh, who knew what they were doing, and it was, it was agonizing. In fact, the, the term fought and fight means exertion, agony. We get our word agony from this Greek word. It's a struggle. Paul has been in a continuous agonizing struggle and uh, most likely it is a wrestling match. And as he looked back over his ministry, he saw that his fighting days were over. Came to a close. He had spent his life involved in the good fight, the noble fight, the excellent fight. What did Paul fight against? What should we fight against? Well, we're not to be contentious. He's not talking about that. Some of us uh, fight, but I'm afraid it's not the good fight. We fight for personal rights. And we've got problems with everybody who disagrees with us, but not Paul. Paul had a noble fight. There is a ridiculous fight, and there is a noble fight. Paul fought against, for instance, Satan. He wrestled, he said. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers, principalities, Satan. He wrestled against Judaizers, those people who said, look, if you're going to be a Christian, you first have to be a Jew. You've got to keep the Mosaic regulations. And Paul said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's a perversion of the gospel. You don't have to do anything of the sort to be saved. He wrestled, struggled with violent Jewish people who didn't want him preaching the gospel of grace, were threatened by his message. He wrestled with Greek philosophical people like the Gnostics who said the body is evil and it led to all kinds of other things and angel worship and things of that nature. Knowledge is everything, secret knowledge. He wrestled and struggled with his own fears. There were many times where Paul was just afraid. You read the book of Acts. The Bible says in Acts 18, the Lord stood with him, reminded him that he had many people in the city. Paul wanted to give up at times. There were times where an angel of the Lord had to appear to Paul and encourage him. He wrestled with his own sin, Romans chapter 7. It's the man who is struggling with sin, everything that we do. He wrestled and struggled with paganism, immorality in the churches. He said, the care of the churches are upon me. Great struggle with Paul. Paul didn't have one of these jobs where he just said, oh, it's five o'clock, time to go home, and he forgot it all. No, his life was the church. Behavior problems in the church, people who had departed from him, people who had promised him all kinds of loyalty and then didn't live up to it. Paul struggled with that. And at the end of his life, he said, I have fought the good fight. Will you be able to say that? Honestly, will you be able to say that you have fought the good fight? That is what life is all about, fighting the good fight. At least that's an aspect of it. Now, some of us don't even struggle. We've given up. We don't struggle. I remember years ago talking to my friend, Franklin Logsdon. 
and I mentioned him a few moments ago. And uh, this is when I was uh, interim pastor here, and I called up Dr. Logsdon, and I said, Dr. Logsdon, I am really struggling with some things. I want to do what's right, and I'm having a hard time with my attitudes and motives. And he said, Steve, but at least you're struggling. Some people aren't struggling anymore. You know, that encouraged my heart. No question about that I was struggling. No doubt about that. But that really encouraged my heart. At least I was struggling. Now, some of us don't struggle anymore. We've just given up. We've just given up and said, well, what's the use? That wasn't Paul's attitude. I have fought a good fight. And the implication here is that at the end of my life, I have won. I didn't give up. I pinned my opponents. I'm the winner. And the only way you can lose this is to quit. The end of, of my life, I want to look back and say, I fought a good fight. I, I didn't reach a point in my life and say, well, I'm, I'm 65, I'm 70, and, and uh, you know, I've been fighting a long time. I can't do this stuff anymore. No, I, you, know, you know what really encourages me? Men like J. Vernon McGee, into their 80s, and they're still fighting. They're still proclaiming the word of God. They're still faithful. And, and it doesn't mean you have to be someone who's well-known like that. It just means be faithful. Don't give up. You continue fighting against Satan. Don't say, you know, I'm, I'm battle-weary. Sure, we all are. Some of us more than others. But if Paul could do it, here's a man in his 70s, and we estimate that. He's in his 70s. He's gone through many more battles than we will ever know. And he said, I have fought the good fight. You see, Paul's point in telling Timothy about fighting is not just to say, look at me, wonderful Aren't I wondering? No, it's to spur him on to fight till the end. That's what Paul's life had been, and that's what Timothy's is to be. That's, the, that's his purpose. Paul had said this a number of times in 1 Timothy 1.18, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up. Preach the word. Have you given up? Get back in the battle. Get back on the firing lines. You say, but I don't like to be shot at. I don't know anybody who does. Get back there. Preach the word. Paul said, do what I've done. Let Paul be an example to us. He also summarizes his ministry. He looks back and he says, I have finished the course. That's a great statement. I love it. I like to run. And this is the imagery of a runner. He's just come to the finish line in a foot race. It took a lot of years to complete it. He's just crossed that finish line like a marathon runner. He's broken the ribbon. He's, he's probably doubled over in pain now. And he looks back over his life and he says, you know what? I finished the course. I've actually finished. I never thought I'd get through this. It is the marathon of all marathons. The Lord laid it out for me, and now I finish, and I look back over it, and it's a great satisfaction. Great satisfaction. I never, I never thought I could finish it. You ever have that? If you've ever raced, you, you know that. Uh, especially if it's a long-distance race, you, you wonder if you're ever going to finish this silly race. And you feel like quitting, especially when half the pack moves ahead of you. I remember that in, uh, in junior high school, I went out for the track team. The problem was I lost uh, my racing ability in sixth grade, and this was seventh grade. It was one year too late. And I started growing, and I couldn't keep up with other people. And I finished last in every single race that we ran in Brooklyn, New York. Big borough meets, and, and people were in the stands. And uh, I finished dead last in every single race but one. I think, I think the kid must have been sick or something. I came in next to last. 
But I was so pleased. But as I was running, and we, it was the half a mile, and, and that's a difficult race. You can't pace yourself very slow. You've got to kind of keep a quick pace. And uh, I, I remember seeing people just, just go right by me and thinking, why do I do this? Why don't I come out every weekend and do this kind of stuff? And you know, when you're the last one and everybody else is finished, you know what goes through your mind? Walk off the field. Just walk off. Who cares? Great satisfaction in that I finished the race. Nobody else cared. I cared. I finished the race. I came to the finish line and I didn't give up. And that's a great satisfaction. I had to do that for me, not for anybody else. They didn't care. I did. Paul said, the Lord laid out a course for me called God's will for my life. And I have run this and I have finished. There may have been some tough points along the, along the way, but I finished. In Acts chapter 20, he says this to the elders at this very church, Ephesus. It says in verse 24, and this is while he's still in it. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course. That's how you finish the course. You don't care about how you feel. You don't care from a, in a, physical, from a physical standpoint that, that you want to throw up. You don't, you don't care that you have cramps and, and that your stomach is hurting and that you really feel like just quitting. From a spiritual standpoint, you go on in spite of having spiritual cramps and spiritual uh, uh, things going, going on all around you that you just as soon not go on. But I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. That's how you do it. My life is not that important. What is important is that I finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's what's important. And that's what Paul is saying. I finished the course. In Philippians 2.16, he speaks of the same thing. He said, I don't want to run in vain. I want to run in vain. I don't want it to be a useless race. I want to finish. Now look back at verse 5. What was the last thing he said to Timothy in verse 5? Fulfill your ministry. Complete it. Timothy, I finished the course. You do it also. Don't give up. Rivet your eyes on the goal and don't take them off it. By the way, just a little bit about running. Uh, One of the things, and I never conquered this, you are never to look behind. You are never to look at the guy, and there were a lot of guys who were passing me by. You are to rivet your eyes on the goal. You look at, you get your eyes on other people, and you're going to have problems. You, you see that in the Olympics. I know they're trained not to do this, but you always see this, uh, especially in a, in a long-distance run where someone will just look behind. You do that, you're going to lose some speed. And sure enough, they look behind, and someone's coming up and takes over. You, you rivet your eyes on the goal, God's will for your life. Don't take them off of that goal. Have you turned back in discouragement? Some people have. Paul didn't. He persevered through the trials and the tears and the disappointments, and now the race is over, and he just looks back with great satisfaction over the course. He said, you know, I finished. I finished. Marvelous feeling to finish a race. Marvelous feeling to finish anything. So like a wrestler, he's fought and won. Like a runner, he's raced and finished. And now... The third imagery, as he sums up his life, is he's like a soldier. He guarded the treasure and nobody got in to take this treasure. The end of verse 7, I have kept the faith. 
in spite of all the attacks and the opposition to the gospel, Paul has guarded against twisting and, and perversion. And really, the gospel that was entrusted to him at the beginning of his ministry is the same one that he is handing to Timothy at the end of his ministry. That's a great truth. I have, I have uh, kept the faith. I have guarded it. I have watched over it, and I have not allowed anybody to pervert it. That is a wonderful, wonderful statement. Now, when you come to the end of, of your days on earth, what will describe your life in retrospect? That's what I had to ask myself this week. What will describe it? I like what R.A. Torrey did. He put this very verse on his tombstone. What will describe your life? Have you struggled, run, have you guarded? Now, here's a man with one foot in the grave and one foot in heaven, and just before he departs, it's as if he's shouting to his followers, look, follow in my steps. It's a general who is shouting to the privates, get going and follow and do it the way that I've done, so that when you come to the end of your life, you will have no regrets. But you say, wait a minute, those steps mean difficulty. Those steps mean heartache. You're right. Paul's Christian life and ministry was no party. No party. wasn't easy. It involved labor, being misunderstood. It involved loneliness, sacrifice, danger, and it wasn't a happy life. There's, there is a, a silly little song that is popular today which says, don't worry, be happy. Everywhere you go, you hear that. Don't worry, be happy. Paul didn't live like that. Paul's life was not happy. Joyful, yes. Happy, no. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy is dependent on your relationship with the Lord when he is reigning as king. Paul did not have a happy life. Paul was not into creature comforts. But was it worth it? I mean, is it really worth it? And you, you and I have to ask ourselves this because uh, we're going to come to the end of our days. How do we live our life? Should we just say, listen, I'm going to get to heaven. Let's just live any old way. Uh, it really doesn't matter. Let's just be happy. Don't worry about a thing. Just, just be happiness is, is the really the way to go in life because after all, that's it. Well, is it? Was it worth it for Paul? Absolutely. Because verse 8 says that's not all there is to life. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all, also to all who have loved his appearing. Earlier, I quoted John Owen. It seems that many of the nonconformist and Puritan preachers of that century had been thinking about the priorities a Christ follower should have. 17th century Puritan theologian Richard Baxter expressed his amazement at what seemed important to those around him. He said, It is a most lamentable thing to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles, while God is cast aside. He who is all seems to them as nothing. And that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed, knowing that God has set mankind in such a race where heaven or hell is their certain end, that they should sit down and loiter, or run after the childish toys of the world, forgetting the prize they should run for. Well, we do tend to fix on things that won't last, and ignore those that are eternal. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will continue that idea as we examine our priorities. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor. To learn more about Lakeside Chapel, call 727-441-1714 
or visit the website lakesidechapel.com. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope the Lord has blessed you as you've been listening to these daily radio Bible classes. If so, how about telling the manager of this station? I spent years serving at a radio station in Honduras and can tell you from personal experience how encouraging it is to hear from listeners. So I guess while you're at it, how about telling us how the Lord has been using verse by verse in your life? The number I just gave for Lakeside is one good way to tell us. So is an email. Write to contact at versebyverseradio.org. Or you can reach us through the contact page on our website, versebyverseradio.org. While you're visiting our website, I'd encourage you to browse the large collection of audio files on the Message Archive page. Or visit the giving page to find out how you can help keep us on the air. If you're already supporting Verse by Verse, well, we're thankful for your generosity. Every once in a while while driving, maybe you've noticed this, I'll see that one or more lanes of the road are closed by barrels, but there's no sign of any construction. No equipment present, no torn up asphalt, just a perfectly good piece of road that's closed to traffic. I think I finally figured out the reason for those lane closures. That lane is full of traffic barrels, making it unsafe for traffic. (laughs) Why did they set up the barrels? Why don't they take them away? There seems to be no point to those barrels other than to cause traffic congestion. But there is, or should be, a point to our lives. You and I have a message to deliver that is of incredible significance. Pastor Steve will tell us more on the next Verse by Verse as he wraps up our series from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.